0: Like oh, people. people generally buy people. people genius. We want to What you're thinking, can you
1: get to buy in? You're listening to Forest FM, the salon business show with your host, Zoe Belil-Springer. For your industry, by your industry. Wanting to be happy is a normal part of the human condition. More than anything else, we all want to be happy. It's figuring out what happiness looks like to us that is often not a simple question. Happiness doesn't just happen to us. So many factors come into play. But one thing's for sure, it requires work, intention, and effort. On this week's episode, we'll be exploring happiness and health under the scope of practical, evidence-based solutions that empower people to live happier, healthier lives with top-rated speaker and founder of the International Happiness Institute of Health Science Research, Dr. Jillian Mandich.
0: It's not like we were taught how to be happy, right? Like We never took a course on it in school. We study different things, but we never really were taught how to be happy. Um, Part of that, part of being happy is understanding that it's impossible to be happy all of the time. When we think about how do we create the most amount of happiness in our life, we often think I will be happy when fill in the blank. And when we get there, it's not like happiness is a permanent state that we've achieved. That's not how happiness works. If instead of seeing happiness as a destination, we see it as a practice, something that we have to work at, it changes the conversation. So a happy life does not mean being happy all the time. A happy life is creating opportunities throughout the day to do things that make you happy. What we do is we grow our happiness muscle, right? We create those small bursts of joy. And what that does is as we start to grow our happiness muscle, then our highs get higher, right? Because we can increase our happiness, but our lows get higher too. So it's not about getting rid of those challenging things. It's about moving everything in the sort of uptrend direction.
1: Dr. Mandich self-describes as a scientist on a mission to help people live their happiest lives. She has a PhD from Western University in Health Science, specializing in health promotion, is a published researcher, two-time TEDx speaker, the founder of the International Happiness Institute of Health Science Research, and you can often find her in the media on shows such as The Social, Marilyn Dennis, Breakfast Television, The Morning Show, and CBC. You can find and watch her TEDx Talks The Surprising Truth About Happiness at TEDx Yorkville and The Two Things You Need to Know to Be Happier Today at TEDx Windsor on YouTube at the links you'll find in today's show notes. The International Happiness Institute of Health Science Research is a research, education and consulting firm devoted to bettering mental health through research, learning, workshops and other resources that build happiness in individuals, businesses, and organizations. So without further ado, Dr. Mandich, having recently partnered with Pantene on their Power to Transform campaign, you're obviously no stranger to the hair and beauty industry, and it's an honor to have you on Forest FM. So thank you so much for being here and welcome to the show.
0: Oh, thank you so much for inviting me. Um, I am really excited for for our conversation. So, Jillian, I was
1: hoping we could use some of your beliefs to structure today's conversation, starting with this first one that you have. There is no secret to happiness, but there is a science to it. You're co-leading the Canadian Happiness at Work study in partnership with the Canadian Mental Health Association, investigating how organizations promote joy, contentment, and positive well-being at work in order to foster productive, engaged, and happy employees. When and in what context did you start reflecting on happiness? Did it come from something in your personal life? Was it something of others in your entourage? How did it come about?
0: Yeah, you know, it's so interesting because like being a happiness researcher, you know, my job right now, I think about it sometimes and it's not like in high school, I sat down with my guidance counselor and was like, okay, when I grow up, I want to be a happiness (laughs) researcher. In all honesty, I didn't even know that that was a job to do. And yet it's kind of interesting because if you think about it, you can research anything, right? There's people that are nutrition researchers or physical activity researchers or, you know, people that do the research for the hair formulations in a salon. Like, you can study everything. And happiness is universal. Like, we all naturally are intrigued and allured and want to be happy. We have this innate part of us. And so not sort of putting those pieces together looking back is sort of confusing. But at the time, I really didn't know. And Mm -hmm. I actually started studying happiness uh, from, it came out of my previous research work, which was childhood obesity. So um, my master's degree was in child and youth health. And I was looking at um, how to raise healthy families. So I was looking at children that were living with obesity in their families and figuring out ways that we can uh, help them to lead healthy lives. And what I used for my study was BMI, body mass index. That's Mm -hmm. how I decided if if a child could be in the study or not. They have a tend to have a, a BMI above the 85th percentile for their age and gender. And I started thinking about this and I thought, hold on a second. BMI is calculated with height and weight. So essentially I'm using weight as the sort of ruler to determine if I can help you or not. And I thought about it and you can be overweight or obese. Like, it doesn't matter. Like your weight doesn't necessarily indicate health, right? You can yeah. You can be living in a larger body and be healthy, and not and be unhealthy. It's true. And so I started looking into the research to think, okay, well, what else could I use if I can't if I don't want to use body mass index? And this is I started my PhD at the time, so I had gone right from my master's into my PhD, and I it was in health science. So both my degrees are in health science. My master's, I specialized in child and youth health, but the PhD program at Western, they didn't have um, that specialization. So I ended up in health promotion Mm -hmm. and, you know, with health promotion, it's, it's such a really powerful place to be and where I really wanted to be in studying because we get one shot at life. Right. And I always think like, how do we take our best shot? How do we live our best life ever? And so I thought about it and i started looking into the research and saying what well, what else impacts our health you know we have things like weight or we have things you know like looking at like cholesterol and all these different things but what else can we do and i stumbled onto happiness research. And I started reading and I just went down this huge rabbit hole because when you compare happy people to unhappy people, happy people, as I learned, like had lower rates of cardiovascular disease. They had stronger immune systems. They heal faster from injury. They tended to make better nutritional choices. So Mm. I thought, oh, wow, both of these things, like in an obesity program, right? My goal is to promote health. And when I promote happiness, The goal is also to promote health. It's just going at it from a different way. And so halfway through my PhD, I ended up completely switching topics from obesity into happiness. And that was, I don't know, probably like seven years ago or so now. And uh and I'm so happy to be studying happiness now. Although the path <laughs> to get here was was not so clear all the time.
1: <laughs> yeah, I feel like sometimes like it's it's like that quote, right? You can only connect the dots looking backwards. You're like, oh mm. yes, okay, this all makes sense. Uh-huh. Why and how? Like I'm in this position right now today, and what I'm doing like makes a lot of sense. Were you? I love that quote. Would you have considered yourself like a um, generally happy person like throughout your life? Like I feel like, and I guess this springs this other question: like, is it biologically Easier for some people to generally speaking be happy, you know, brain chemicals vibe.
0: (laughs) Mm. Totally. And it's such an interesting question because, like, I sort of remember my childhood, but not really. And then I'm also not clear, like, do I remember it because I saw a photo or do I actually have that memory? It's a little bit blurry, especially when you go back to like elementary school or something. Uh, But my mom. I don't know, maybe a couple years ago, she was cleaning out their basement. She had all these boxes of, like, my grade two journals and, like, my, my art that I drew in kindergarten. And so she, she gave me this box of stuff, and I started going through it. And I started reading my report cards. And I remember, like, I think it was, like, my kindergarten teacher something wrote, like, Jillian's a really happy child. And then in, like, grade one or two, one of the teachers wrote, like, Jillian's a very happy child. <laughs> and I, I noticed in several report cards that my teachers had written that. And I thought, okay, so maybe maybe it is, you know, and then so I I took that and then I applied my like, what do we know in terms of the best available happiness research? And there is a genetic element to happiness. Absolutely. So, you know, you can thank your parents or not, um, (laughs) but that does play a role in our sort of if we look at it, as like a total capacity for happiness. Yeah. So one of the big pieces of that is genetics. Mm-hmm. And another big piece, which I think we can all appreciate uh, living through a pandemic, is the environment, yes, right? And how that affects how we feel. And then there's this third piece, and that's the piece that like my research focuses on because when we think about how do we make change, like we can't change our genetics, like maybe change gene expression like a little bit, but it's hard. Right. Environment, I mean, we, we could all get up and move to Costa Rica. I've had a bunch of friends <laughs> do that. Um, and hard to do, right? Yes. Not impossible, but difficult. Yeah. And then if we think about, hold on a second, what about my thoughts, my actions, and my behaviors? That's something that I have a lot of control over. Mm-hmm. And that piece of the happiness sort of total capacity is also a very meaningful and significant part so yes we sort of have some that genetics do impact it so do environment but I think the key empowering point is to really understand that no matter how happy or how unhappy we're feeling right now each and every one of us has the capacity to be happier so it's not just a question of like you were born like an Eeyore person you know like you from <laughs> yeah. Winnie the Pooh right <laughs> that type of person yeah. or
1: not image immediately <laughs>
0: Yeah. <laughs> so it's it's not, you know, like here you go. It's not like eye color where you know, you're born with blue eyes and I, or not or whatever. Um, it really is something that we do uh, have some control over mm-hmm. and we can use that to make a meaningful difference in terms of our happiness levels. Mm.
1: And do you have like certain specific, like favorite studies about happiness, like maybe one
0: or two that you could describe or delve into a little bit? Yeah, actually, you know what? One, I just finished a study that I thought was really cool um, that I did with Interact. Okay. And so we were looking at at Canadians spending patterns post-pandemic. Um, and sort of some context, Uh, you know, people always ask me, like, Jillian, can money buy happiness? Can money buy happiness? Yeah. And the sort of very short, if I had to summarize it, there's lots of nuances and blah, blah, blah. But basically, the sort of underlying message is, yes, once, so it, it impacts our happiness until we have our basic needs met. So if Mm -hmm. we can't pay rent, if we can't buy food, then absolutely it's playing a huge part. And once those things are taken care of, more money doesn't mean more happiness. Right. Uh, And I mean, we we see this, look at like how many celebrities or people that have millions and millions of dollars that aren't happy. So we know that it's not a direct link. Um, And yet, sometimes when we spend our money, we think that the things that we're gonna buy make us happy.
1: Like retail therapy, right? (laughs)
0: Exactly, exactly. And yes. so we were sort of looking at this in terms of, okay, well, are Canadians, you know, wanting to spend more money? Or maybe it was the opposite. You know, maybe because we we realized, you know, how how important saving money is or cutting back or some of the things that we used to buy that we couldn't during the pandemic, maybe we didn't need them as much anymore. Um, mm-hmm. And so we dove into that in, in this study. And I think one of the things that was really important to know in terms of uh, the study was one— It's not that people are going out and buying these huge things, and yet, so sometimes we get like a small burst of joy when we buy something, Mm -hmm. but if we really want to spend our money to make it bring the biggest burst of joy, then we want to look at buying things like experiences. Right. So we saw a lot of Canadians saying things like, I can't wait to go out and buy a concert ticket, or movie tickets, or things like that, and I think especially going into the holiday season, um, consistent with, with that study and so many other studies out there, we see that when we're looking to use our money, especially if you think about buying gifts for people, Mm -hmm. going beyond just something you wrap and put under the tree, like a gift, but how can we make it an experience? How can we share time or create memories through it you know whether it be like even my mom i we do jigsaw puzzles together and so that's uh, i know that's something i picked up during the pandemic right
1: i just i just did a jigsaw puzzle like a couple of weeks ago with some friends it's the best i
0: it's so yeah. fun right <laughs> yeah so things that we can do to spend time and enjoy time together yeah. um that's when we can really get the most amount of happiness uh, when we are buying things
1: Hmm. That's interesting you mentioned that because a couple of years ago, actually, our CEO was, I remember he was writing a blog article on how the world was moving towards an experience economy and how businesses in the hair and beauty industry were well-placed for that shift. Because obviously if you're going to to uh, a hair salon uh, or getting like a beauty treatment, you know, you're in for the experience, right? And the experience economy was what like economists were calling the next stage of our economic cycle. I guess it's a nice thing to know that, you um, know, you know, this this experience economy is actually gonna also possibly be helpful for our happiness. Something else I wanted to talk about was uh, something you mentioned in your Yorkville TED talk. So to put listeners in context, um, in that TED Talk, you talk about the concepts of happiness and sadness and how they're not actually two ends of one spectrum, that it was possible to feel happy while feeling sad and vice versa. And I remember watching the TED Talk and immediately going back to a conversation that I had where I was once told, you know, like, it hurts It hurts me to see you this sad. I thought you were happy um something to which i replied well you know like i am happy but this specific thing i'm going through is hard and so yeah it makes me sad to talk about it um and i remember after the conversation just being really like just utterly confused about what i had experienced and 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 how i felt and i was like wait does that make sense did i just kind of lie am i lying to myself am i actually happy so i would love for you to dig deeper into this concept and for you to like define you know happiness and and sadness and how they Interact with each other.
0: I am so happy <laughs> that you brought this up um, because I think this is <laughs> <laughs> this is an important piece of the conversation that's often missing. Because oftentimes, and I mean, with happiness, it's interesting because it's not like we were taught how to be happy, right? Like we never took a course on it in school. Mm-hmm. We just learned math and science, and then even you know, once we finished, we went to beauty school. We went, you know, I went to study health science. We study different things. Um, but we never really were taught how to be happy. Um, And part of that, part of being happy is understanding that it's impossible to be happy all of the time. Mm -hmm. And I didn't know this before I started studying happiness. And like, in all honesty, part of the reason I wanted to study happiness is what I said earlier, right? I wanted to figure out like, how can we promote health? Yeah. And at the same time, when I thought about it from a personal perspective, I thought, and you know, sometimes we ask ourselves those hard questions, right? And when I started reading about this happiness research, I started asking those questions to myself. You know, like, Jillian, are you as happy as you think you possibly could be? And the answer was no. And I think for a lot of us, I actually haven't met somebody that's answer is yes yet, so. Um. <laughs> <laughs> but it's it's like, okay, so then, then what do we do about it? And so that... So part of the reason I wanted to do it was because I didn't want to feel anxious. I hate feeling anxious. I hate feeling stressed. I hate feeling sad. I don't want those things. So I thought, well, Jillian, you're a researcher. So why don't you figure it out? Why don't you study it and figure out how to get rid of some of those challenging emotions and just be happy all the time? Like, it sounded like a really good goal when I started studying
1: happiness. (laughs) It does sound like a good goal. And then reality came and,
0: like, smacked me across the face and was like, no, 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 that's not how this works. Um, And... It it came up, so it's sort of, I learned about it, but it wasn't sort of something that I talked about a lot. And then recently um, I went through a breakup of four years, you know, like over 5 million Canadians have gone through breakups since COVID, right? And Mm -hmm. and myself, I was one of them. And so I'm in this really awful, difficult time and I was divorced, like that was really hard, but like going through a breakup during a pandemic is like way harder, I've got to say. Um, And so I would tell people I'm feeling sad today or, you know, I'm feeling down or, you know. And then people would start saying to me, well, Jillian, you study happiness. Like, you're supposed to be happy. And people were getting confused. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, yes, I study happiness. And that doesn't mean I'm happy all the time. And this kept happening and happening and happening. And I thought, okay, we're missing a huge part of the conversation if... We think that the goal is to be happy all the time. And so I actually emailed my producer on the social and I said, this is something I really want to talk about because nobody's talking about it. And so my most recent segment on the social, you know, part of our conversation was around and I said, you know, like, I'm a happiness researcher and I'm not happy all the time. But that's not the goal and that's not the point. And there's actually research that sometimes um, it's referred to in like the scientific literature as like the dark side of happiness. Right. Where... What we see is that people who set their goal to be happy all the time, those people are actually less happy than other people, which like at first thought is like Mm. kind of a paradox, right? You're like, wait a minute, if that's your goal, even if you don't reach your goal all the time, like you think you're still trending in the right direction. But if you think about it, you're like, okay, my goal is to be happy all the time. And that's impossible. So you're never going to reach your goal. And so you're basically setting yourself up for continual and permanent failure because you're never going to get there. And so you start to feel worse about yourself. So I think that when we think of healthy psychological functioning, it's it's important to embrace a full spectrum of emotions. And, you know, I I think about emotions not as good or bad, but as data telling us how we feel. And if we go through a breakup, then part of the emotions that we feel are sadness, our grief, our mourning, our loneliness, our those are things, but that's part of life too. And it's not about getting rid of those things and just being happy all the time because that's that's not realistic and that's not possible. Mm-hmm.
1: It, it's it's interesting because it actually reminds me a lot of like trying to reach for perfection. Like what is perfection? You know, it's so subjective also. So it's like, you're never going to reach that goal. So yeah, like, is there is there anything in particular that you can like do to to help yourself kind of experience more joy?
0: Yeah, you know, because I think, you think about it and if I'm like, okay, Jillian, well, I just heard you say that the goal isn't to be happy all the time. Well, then what is the goal,
1: right? <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah.
0: <laughs> and so I think with happiness, when, <laughs> can you hear that snoring? That was my mm-hmm. dog. <laughs> Jeez. For those of you listening, I have a, a French bulldog puppy and he brings me so much happiness. And there's a lot of research in terms of pets and happiness and I'm living that <laughs> now, so it's true. <laughs> um, but when we think about our happiness, um Part of my work was really about rethinking or sort of relearning what happiness is. And so part of, part of happiness is, is when we think about how do we create the most amount of happiness in our life? We often think I will be happy when, fill in the blank, right? When I have X amount of dollars, when I have, you know, this, when I'm this size, when I get married, when I get divorced, whatever it is. And so... We think that, and yet happiness is not a destination, right? Say, for example, we're like, okay, I will be happy when I have $1 million in the bank. And then guess what? One day you wake up and you've got $1 million in the bank. Are you like, okay, I've arrived at happiness. I'm good now. No, right? Even if we reach that thing that we tell ourselves is what we're going to do to be happy, when we get there, it's not like happiness is a permanent state that we've achieved, right? It's not like we get a gold medal in the Olympics and then we have it (laughs) for the rest of our life. That's not how happiness works. And so- If instead of seeing happiness as a destination, we see it as a practice, something that we have to work at, it changes the conversation. And Mm -hmm. it makes happiness something that's a practice, not a destination. And so how we can do that is, one, just starting to look at happiness from a different lens. So Mm -hmm. say, for example, you went to the gym today and you had the best workout of your life. You would never text me after and be like, oh my God, Jill, I just had the best workout of my life. I've reached fitness right? You would never say that (laughs) because we understand that if we want to be fit people, we have to move our body on a regular basis or like say, um, like for breakfast, I made a green smoothie and I put like all the superfoods in it. I would never drink that. And then call, call you and be like, Hey, guess what? I just had the best breakfast, super healthy. I've reached nutritional wellness. Like I don't have to eat again. Right. We understand that (laughs) we want to be healthy. It sounds silly, but think about it. We know that if we want to eat We have to choose healthy food most of the time. We have to move our body on a regular basis. And so if we can apply that same thinking to happiness, it changes the conversation because happiness becomes something that we do every single day, ideally. And the other thing we know from research is, you know, this idea of like, I will be happy when Mm -hmm. we often think it's those big, shiny moments that bring us the most happiness, right? Graduations, birthdays, trips, moving days, uh, whatever it is. And yet, what we know from research is that those events don't actually bring us as much happiness as we think or for as long. So if we really want to create and sort of build a happiness muscle, that's kind of how I think about it, right? We do things in the gym, we lift weights, we get stronger. We do things in our life that make us happy, our happiness muscle grows. And so... It's really about creating small bursts of joy throughout the day. So a happy life does not mean being happy all the time. A happy life is creating opportunities throughout the day to do things that make you happy. Because the cumulative effect of those add up to much more happiness. So it's asking ourselves the question, you know, what makes me happy? And what can I do throughout the day to create some of those small bursts of joy? Because what when we do that, and it doesn't have to be big things. It can be like cuddling with my puppy, right? Yeah, It creates what we call in research, like upward spirals of positive emotion. But it's kind of like, you know, when you, something good happens, and you almost like have a bit more pep in your step. Yeah. And then your day gets, so it's, it's not about not having sad or difficult times, but it's about creating more opportunities for small bursts of joy, because that is actually what adds up to a happier life.
1: So let's say you're going through a more challenging time in your life when you would really need those small bursts of joy, right? And you're trying to, you're trying really hard to do the things that normally brings them the bursts. Why is it that sometimes nothing comes from that? There's just no joy. And you're doing like, say, I don't know if doing a puzzle or going to the gym or having a fresh smoothie makes you feel those instances of joy. Is that is that because maybe we've gotten too used to those things? Should we intentionally be taking breaks from the things we like sometimes?
0: Yeah, that's a very insightful question. Um, so in psychology, we have this concept called hedonic adaptation. And basically, it's kind of like, we're adaptive creatures as humans and we kind of get used to things. It's like, you know, um, I, one of my best friends in in my undergrad, mm-hmm. she lived right next to a train track. And right. by on campus, it was right next to the train track. And we would go over and I would be like, I don't know how you can live with this house. Uh, you know, the train is so loud. And she would say to me, well, <laughs> I don't even hear the train. And then by the end of the semester, I spent so much time there, I didn't hear the train either. Right. We adapt. We get used to things. Um, and so, Part of that is understanding that because we adapt, then novelty be, can be a great way to keep things on our toes. It's like, you know, gratitude right now, for example, is such a popular practice, right? You hear all the time, like five years ago, if I asked people, like, do you practice gratitude? They would look at me like I had three goals. <laughs> and now people are like, oh yeah, I've got an app and a journal, And right? Yeah. It's, it's much more commonplace. And part of the gratitude conversation, I think that isn't happening as much is how do we actually do that in a meaningful way?
1: Mm-hmm. Because
0: if every day... Um, I ask myself, what am I grateful for? And every day I say, I'm grateful for my puppy. Then over time, the impact of that practice actually diminishes because I'm used to it. So if we want to maximize our gratitude practice, then, you know, it's, it's not necessarily every single day, but we have to ask different questions, you know, what am I grateful for that I learned today? What body parts of mine am I grateful for? What people in my life, what new things have I learned? So it's about, even though we're practicing gratitude, it's asking different questions. And so the same applies to happiness, right? It's like, if, you know, we can do things to intru- introduce novelty or make them a little bit different, even like like in the morning, I love to like start with my coffee and so and just, you know, have some quiet time before I like look at my phone or do anything. Yeah. And so even with that, though, you know, maybe I have some music on one day or I, you know, have a diffuser going one day or there's just little different things to make it not exactly the same. Mm-hmm. Um, what that does is it, it helps to mix it up because we kind of have to accept and understand that we're adaptive creatures and it's natural. So if we want to really get the maximum out of these practices, whether it be gratitude or happiness or anything in terms of novelty, we adapt, right? Yeah. Uh, then it's about mixing it up, changing it up a little bit. And, uh, and that can really help.
1: Hmm. Right. I, I'd like to bring it back to experiences and material things for just a second. Now, both can bring us pleasure or small bursts of joy, but can they bring us happiness? And are there different kinds or flavors of happiness? Like, I don't know, work happiness, material happiness, cultural happiness, etc.
0: Yeah. You know, I love that expression, flavors of happiness. And it, it's kind of interesting because we didn't have to start our conversation today, like with me giving a definition of happiness. Right. And, and I'm sure if you're listening right now, you're not just like, Hey, what are they talking about? What's this happiness thing? Like we all, (laughs) we
1: we all have an understanding, have an understanding.
0: And yet if I was to ask you Zoe, or, you know, you listening right now, like how, what is happiness? How do you define it? We would get different answers. And if I asked a hundred people, I would get a hundred different answers, maybe some similarities, but a hundred different or, and a hundred different answers. Um, and so this makes happiness kind of complicated, and there's a the subjective nature to it, and the fact that you, you know, it's 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 not something necessarily tangible. Um, so there's that, and then you add on the additional complexity of if you think about what made you happy when you were 16 versus what makes you happy now versus what makes you happy when you're 100 it changes. So it's not just like you figure out, okay, this is what happiness means to me. This is what makes me happy. And then I just kind of execute, right? It's changing all of the time. So part of happiness is understanding that it's a very personal um, thing. Now, if you're wondering, okay, well, Jillian, how do you define happiness? Um, As a happiness researcher, when you do research, you have to define your terms. So often the definition I use um, comes from Dr. Sonia Lubomirsky in California. And she says that happiness is the experience of joy, contentment, and positive well-being combined with a sense that one's life is good, meaningful, and worthwhile. So there's kind mm-hmm. of two pieces, right? There's the how we're feeling in the moment, but then there's the, the sort of more longevity piece of purpose or meaning, and they kind of dovetail together. Um, and I think that what is sort of part of the conversation is understanding that happiness overlaps in so many different areas of our life. Like we know that when we focus on building our happiness muscle – you tend to see better outcomes in terms of our physical health, like I talked about at the beginning, but we also see benefits at work um, in terms of creativity and problem solving, or even being rated as better liked by colleagues and peers, or getting better um, evaluations by supervisors. So it's not just like this little bubble thing where like it's it's in isolation. So all the areas of our life impact each other. It's just sort of in, in different um, capacities. And some of it's more subtle, mm-hmm. uh, and some of it may not even realize is happening, But it absolutely does. And I think part of the other thing is that happiness can be expressed in so many different ways, too, right? Like you turn on the Super Bowl and you watch the guy doing a touchdown (laughs) dance, end zone dance because he got a touchdown, right? Pretty happy. Yeah. And you watch people walking out of a yoga class or a meditation class. They look zen and floaty, right? Happy. You watch someone walk out of a hair salon that just got their roots done after six months, (laughs) Biggest smile you'll ever see, right? <laughs> happiness. Yeah. So it can be expressed in so many different ways, and so I think that that's part of of happiness is understanding that it's kind of this living and breathing and evolving thing, mm-hmm. and uh, and we can ask the question instead of like how do we define happiness, asking ourselves, okay, well, what makes me happy? Yeah. And what are those things for myself? I think that that's where we can start to turn the conversation inward and really get to know more um, about ourselves through that.
1: You mentioned how happiness impacts various parts of our lives. And nowadays, more than ever, we're always on the go. We're living full on, but often we're not so much in the present. Does focusing our energy on anticipating future events and or living out past memories get in the way of actual long-term happiness? And is one better or worse than the other?
0: Yeah. So our brain is this like funny thing where we think that every, our brain is perfect, but it's actually not. <laughs> and so we we have these biases in our brain that we don't even notice that are happening all the time. Like for example, there's one that um, is, is really pervasive and it's called the negativity bias. And so the negativity mm-hmm. bias is our brain's just sort of natural tendency to focus on the bad things in life or the bad things. So if you got received say 10 compliments today, right? 10 people said 10 awesome things about how wonderful you are. And one person says one bad thing. At the end of the night, when you go to bed tonight and you put your head on the pillow, like what, what are you thinking about? Right. You're thinking about that one thing, thing for sure. Yeah. That's, and even though there was 10 great things and way more evidence over here, we focus on that. And so knowing that part of it is like, okay, my brain isn't seeing things perfectly and giving everything equal weight. There's just too much going on. And I mean, the negativity bias actually came from really good place because if we were to rewind the clock to our ancestors that were like worried that bears were going to chase them, like they always had to be on the lookout for predators. But now like in our day and age, like we're not too worried about that. Right. Mm-hmm. And so we can override it. And what we have to do, it takes attention and focus, but we have to recognize that, Hey, my brain came with this hard wiring to look for and to notice the negative or the bad or the challenging things over the good, so if I want to see the good, then I have to pay more attention to the good things. Right. Um, so there's that, and then the other thing is we have like a recall bias. Like, say for example, like okay, my wedding day, right? I look back when I got, I was married um, when I was 25, and if I look at my wedding album. It looks beautiful, and I might and I might flip through it and be like, "Oh wow, this is such a great day," and I have all these fond memories. And yet, if I remember back, um, you know, it was it was really bad weather, and so I was stressed about guests coming. And then I remember the florist, like my bouquet, she almost forgot to bring it. Like there was a lot of stressful things that happened that day. And yet, when I look back, I'm like, "Oh, my wedding day was so nice." <laughs> it's kind of the same thing when we recall. Things in our past, sometimes we can kind of look at them through rose-colored glasses. Or, you know, what we know is that when we recall things, then even like when we look at holidays, well, I, there's a research that shows that we're more likely to remember the good things than the bad um, from recalling those things sometimes, especially like bigger events. So our brain's not perfect. And so even if we're thinking, oh, I was happy back then, were we really And are we really remembering it accurately? Because usually we're not. Um, So I think that it's just kind of funny because it's the same as um, when we book a trip. Remember how I said those big shiny moments don't bring us as much happiness as we think? Yeah. At the same time, what we do know in terms of trips is that if you book a vacation and it's further away... It actually, the time from when you book it, say you book it two months out since we can travel yes. again now, right? Yay. Um, so say I book it a trip for, um, for March, right? So I've got a couple months here. I actually am going to get more happiness from that trip than if I booked it the day before and I went last minute because I'm thinking about the trip and I'm anticipating it and I'm getting excited about it. And so in those moments, me thinking about that trip it's not the actual trip that's bringing me happiness. It's the small burst of joy that I just created thinking about that trip. Huh. Right. It's not the trip itself. That's interesting yeah. because
1: I would have thought, you know, like the further out you book it, you know, the the higher anticipation you build. And then if it doesn't live up to that expectation, then you fall from way higher, you know?
0: Yeah. So both can be true because, When we think about, like, say, for example, I booked my trip today and I'm like so excited. So I get this small burst of joy. My burst of joy had nothing to do with the actual trip or the outcome. It was the process of thinking about it. When we get there, when we're in that moment and it's, you know, we get there and the airlines lost our luggage and, you know, (laughs) we go in the pool and our hair turns green and this and this and that and the food, you know, makes us sick, blah, blah, blah. (laughs) So in that moment, we're not creating small bursts of joy from that moment, right? <laughs> but right yeah. now we did. And so yeah. it's, you know, both can be true. And and oftentimes, I think that's a, part of it too, is in terms of the tricks that our brain plays, our brain can actually build up these moments to be more than they are, right? And so
1: mm-hmm.
0: we think that it's going to be this like life-changing event. And then it happens and we're kind of like, eh. or like my wedding, right? The next day I'm like, oh, well... I've been planning that for a year and a half and now it's over. And you kind of have like a lull. You come back from a trip, same kind of thing. Like often you'll see people have like a little bit of a dip um, when they go back. And that's that's part of it is because we were expecting so much. And the part of the conversation we don't have in our head is what happens after that, right? We're planning the trip and that's where our thinking stops, right? (laughs) We don't see past that big moment. And so that's part of it, uh, how it plays a trick on our brain too. Mm.
1: So if happiness isn't a destination and it's a practice, like if we look at like the salon world specifically, right, like working in a salon, especially coming up to the holidays where it's like super busy. Um, usually people working in a salon are like very empathetic. They take on the energy from like everyone who comes into their chairs. How do you like foster and make sure that like you're practicing um creating those small moments of joy like i i can think of i guess one that i was um encouraged to try this summer where it's like smile at strangers you know like if you're walking down the street just smile at them say like have a good day or like anything like that and like typically they'll likely have a good reaction and you know smile back and then that's gonna hit you with like a bit of um I guess, I don't know, dopamine or serotonin. I don't know. But (laughs) one of those. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you're right. Yeah, both. And so so, like if you continue that like that that practice, then, you know, you'll just create those little moments and one one will typically bring another and so on and so forth. So is there like anything in the salon itself that you could think of um, doing for, for anyone like working in the salon?
0: Yeah, you know, uh, this is it's it's such a great question, and I think that when we think about okay, well, how do we set myself up? And it's it's hard being in a salon because there's a lot of things you can't control, like who's coming in and what mood are they in, and right, like and we all know what it's like when you have someone come in and they just complain and they're in a bad mood, and, or you have someone come in that's like a <laughs> ray of sunshine, right? So. The people that we interact with, number one, it's important to know that they affect how we feel. And research out of Harvard actually found that our happiness can spread three degrees from us. So when we focus on our happiness, it impacts the people that we meet, but then also the people that they meet. So when someone walks into the salon and sits down in your chair, then how you're feeling affects them. But when they walk out of the salon, it's still affecting the people that they meet. So it's important to know that it really does Matter beyond us. So, a couple things we can do are one. I think that anytime we go into something, whether it's um, you know a long day, and I think that's part of it too, especially since COVID, right? Like at the salon, you're working a lot longer hours, trying to get it's, it's just a lot. Yeah. So. Part of it is before you even start, how do you supercharge your batteries? So are you doing whatever you can before your day starts to put you in the best position, right? Are you um, doing, you know, things that in the morning that bring you joy? Maybe you go for a walk before you start your day or what are those things so that when you start your day, you've set yourself up for success. So that's part of it. And then another thing that's really interesting is that we know from research that if someone's in a bad mood. If we don't take time to like reset before we meet the next person, that carries into the next person that we meet as well. So something that we can do throughout the day is just, you know, if we are noticing that we have like an Eeyore in our chair or someone that's whatever, before we move on to the next client, a quick reset, whether that be, you know, um, going and just going and taking a few breaths and just kind of imagining that you're resetting, whether it be going for a quick coffee break, uh, whether you maybe can go outside for a walk for five minutes, whatever it is, but doing anything that you can to sort of reset in between, because it's not just like meet one person onto the next. We bring that with us into the day. Um, And then another thing is, really paying attention to our words and what we're talking about, because that impacts how we feel too. So what conversations are we having with people? Are we complaining about everything? Are we asking, you know, what are you excited for? What's been great in your life? You know, how happy are you to be back at the salon? The type of conversations that we're having really matter. And Mm -hmm. another thing that we can do from like a salon setup thing is that um, the news, there's research from Sean Aker and Michelle Geelan that found that even if you watch three minutes of news that you perceive to be negative in the morning, it yep. can affect your mood six to eight hours later. So, you know, do we just That's put the radio lot. on a lot, right? And yeah. and it's it's just three minutes and then we turn it off. So imagine now you put the radio on at the salon and every hour or every half hour, I don't even know how when do they do with the news, right? Then all <laughs> these things come on and it's it's just subtle in the background. But yet it affects us. And so, you know, are we putting on music that is uplifting in the salon? Are we doing things and checking in and noticing? Like if we notice that we're getting a little bit grumpy or snarky or something, then yeah. taking 15 seconds or even if it's like super busy – Doing anything you can to kind of create a little moment to reset and hit recalibrate. And when you do that, you give yourself grace. That's the piece that's really important. Self-compassion. Because we all have bad days. We have days when we're busy. We have days when we are not on our game. And that's part of it. So we accept that for what it is. You know, we're compassionate to ourselves because I think we're already so hard on ourselves, And especially the salon, it's a really difficult and challenging environment right now from so many reasons. And so... What can we do to kind of support ourselves through that, knowing that we're not in this perfect environment, but how do we make the best of that? And just those little resets, it sounds like a small thing, but it's actually a really big thing. And a lot of times people say like, you know, practicing gratitude, like we talked about earlier, it happens over time. Like, it's not like one day you're just wake up and you're a super grateful person. It's kind of like a slow (laughs) process. But sometimes people are like, well, what do I do right now? I'm in a bad mood. How do I change my mood? And uh, one of the most effective instant mood boosters is moving your body. So whether that be, you know, just dancing (laughs) for a moment or uh, anything you can do to move your body a little bit. um, What that does is it does exactly what you talked about earlier in terms of like serotonin and dopamine. Some of those physiologies, some of the chemicals we can actually change in our brain to start shifting things. And when we do that, then it does impact how we feel on a physiological level, which then impacts how we're showing up at the salon too.
1: Hmm. And do you have like anything, any recommendations for building like team happiness? Like considering that Mm -hmm. people- Like you don't have control over the clients that are coming into your chair on any given day, but you do work with, you know, a solid team of individuals that you're probably, you know, like working with either every day or every second day, depending on if you're doing shift work or not. Mm -hmm. And if like, you know, like, like you were saying, environment matters and we have to create an environment around us that is conductive to supporting that happiness. So like, is there any recommendations for teams to build that happiness together and not just like on the individual level?
0: Yeah, I love this question because it's one thing to focus on our own happiness, but also we don't live in like little bubbles, right? We are around (laughs) people all day long. And so it's kind of like the symbiotic thing where you can support each other, right? And so one of the big things that actually this came out of the the study that I did that you mentioned at the beginning, looking at happiness in the workplace um, with Canadian Mental Health Association, is that less than half of Canadians felt appreciated at work. Oh, that's... And this is something... That's really
1: saddening to hear.
0: That, yeah... And the thing about being appreciated is it doesn't cost anything. It doesn't take a lot of time. So -hmm. when we think about, you know, like, oh, can I give you a raise of this? Maybe or maybe not. But that's expensive and difficult. But can I tell you, wow, I really appreciated uh, how you uh, tore a bunch of uh, things for my foils because you had some time. That was really thoughtful of you. Thank you. Right? Mm -hmm. Those little things. Because as humans, like we have certain... Innate things, and we all want to be seen and appreciated and understood. And so, showing that appreciation to your team is something that's small but goes a really long way. Now, the key, and and you started at the beginning of our conversation talking about that campaign I did with with Pantene, where we talked about compliments. And so, compliments are a great way to show appreciation. But the key thing is they have to be genuine. Like it can't yeah. be like, oh my god, I love your sweater. <laughs> right? Like
1: if if you're just sort
0: of like looking to say something, um, or like you see another client and you're like, Oh, the hair looks great. And you didn't even actually look, but you know, they just did it. Like, so it has to be genuine. So, Mm -hmm. you know, really thinking about I appreciate being specific and detailed helps with making it genuine because it shows that you're paying attention. And then the other thing I think that's important too, with compliments is really asking, how can I compliment someone beyond their appearance? um, the caveat to that could be something like at the salon where maybe someone's hair is a work of art and that's something to compliment, (laughs) right? Like I was, I was actually, um, at my hairdresser salon in London, Ontario. Um, uh, and I was at Studio H, my hairdresser salon and, uh, Faith, one of the girls in the chair, she, I hadn't seen her since before COVID and she had this gorgeous long hair. So she'd grown her hair out during COVID and she'd crimped it with a big barrel crimper and it looked nice. amazing. And so yeah. when I was complimenting that, it was really, you know, about her appearance, but not because I was like, how did you create this? What did you use? Tell me about this crimper. What are your tips? So then it's it's part of it, but it shows appreciation versus just like, oh my gosh, you look so pretty today. Right. Right. Um, so, you know, and, and is it maybe something like I thought it was, I really uh, appreciate how thoughtful it was for you to, you know, leave some towels out for me or whatever, but it's, it's a little thing. That goes a huge way, and think about it. When somebody says something nice about you, you develop more of a connection with them and a positive association. And if someone's really nice to you, are you more likely to be nice to them later? Yes, right. Yeah. They they help you with something, and then you notice that they just did a haircut, and their chair needs to be swept underneath it, right? Maybe mm-hmm. you're more likely to do that. You're standing around because they did something nice for you earlier, and then it. Develops more of this culture of collaboration and and community, and uh, and that's a small thing, but it really does go a really long way.
1: Yes, I love that the thoughtfulness behind the compliments, especially that's what that's what really stands out for me. Um, it's definitely something we can be all a bit more mindful of doing, myself included. Now I hate that our chat is coming to an end, but. I guess all good things do come to an end. So if there was just one concept or thought that you would hope listeners took away from today's conversation, what would that be? Mm. Mm. It's
0: a hard question. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I think that knowing that there's something we can do about our happiness Right. It's not like a sentence. Like I'm five foot three. And unless I wear heels, there's nothing I can do. I'm going to be five (laughs) foot three. I can't like imagine I'm going to be taller and I can't like gratitude my way into being taller. It's it's fixed. Um, And happiness is not. And so knowing that and knowing that happiness ebbs and flows. And what we do is we grow our happiness muscle, right? We create those small bursts of joy. And what that does is it doesn't mean that we're not going to have sad or difficult or challenging times, right? We've lived through a pandemic and we have so many difficult things that happen in life. We, you know, health issues and our salons closing, or we are, um, whatever it is, we all have these things that happen, health issues, divorces. And so it's not about getting rid of those, but what happens is as we start to grow our happiness muscle, then our highs get higher, right? Because we can increase our happiness, but our lows get higher too. So it's not about getting right. rid of those challenging things. It's about moving everything in the sort of uptrend direction. And so knowing that one, if I'm not feeling happy today, then that's okay. And give ourselves the grace to feel whatever it is that we're feeling. I mean, do we want to marinate in those emotions for weeks or months? No, absolutely. <laughs> and if we're in that, then, then that's time to have a conversation with you know, our healthcare professionals. Because there also, is a time and a place for pharmaceutical interventions. Uh, you know, like I think about, and I get asked this a lot. I know I'm kind of on a tangent. We didn't talk about this, but I think it's an important piece is that if you think about it, if you're building a house, right, um, you need windows and you need doors and you need a roof. And if, if you have no bricks, you can't build a house. And so if... If our body is not producing the precursor to serotonin or the receptor is not communicating, then no amount of gratitude and positive affirmations is going to make that connection happen. So there is a time and a place for that, absolutely. And no matter what, whether, you know, pharmaceuticals or not, each and every one of us have the capacity to be happier. And it's it's empowering to know that we can create those small bursts of joy and they actually add up to a very meaningful um, and happy life.
1: That's brilliant. Thank you so much, Jillian. I really, really appreciate you sharing um, all of this with us today. Um, if people want to, you know, dive into more of your research or connect with you online, how can they reach out?
0: Yeah, so my website's a great hub. Everything's kind of from there. And that's my name, Jillian Mandich. And it's Gillian with a G. So G-I-L-L-I-A-N-M-A-N-D. I-C-H dot com and my socials on all of them is at my at Jillian Manage so luckily no one else that I know has my name so <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure you have the same thing right so yes, it's Yes nice absolutely.
1: In a way. Yeah, it is quite nice.
0: <laughs> yeah I mean they can't pronounce um, my name half the time but at least it's different so it stands out so it's on all the things same it comes up for I've, me so
1: <laughs> yeah same here I've got yeah. one last name in French and one in English and it confuses everyone in all <laughs> languages. <laughs> Um, So I have one very last question for you. It's a thought starter question. Um, What do you feel has been the most important thing for you that you've done in your life so far?
0: Mm. I think the most important thing I've done... The natural thought when you are running a business is
1: coming from a place of desperation to like drive performance and drive business right but giving staff feedback is hard isn't it well the process of empowering teams to reach their goals and targets just got that much easier celebrate having a competitive edge with forest new staff performance tool give your team access to key metrics like revenue and transactions for services product retail and client booking The new performance report is a form of way power that you're giving them and saying, like, here's information in your hands. It's 24-7 access to their KPIs, all from the Forest Go mobile app. Visit Forrest.com for more information.
0: I think the most important thing I've done is got to know myself. Like, taking the time to, because I think if I look at my life, I think, especially when I was younger, I was not on autopilot, but sort of, right? Like going through my life and, you know, look at my report cards. Jillian's pretty happy. (laughs) But I wasn't fully, like, aware and present. You know, I wasn't being very purposeful and intentional with my thoughts, my actions, my behaviors. Mm -hmm. And as I've grown up, and especially I think studying happiness has made me very aware of what I'm doing, what I'm thinking, what I'm surrounding myself with, what I'm listening to, who I'm talking to. And all of those things are so powerful because we there's a lot going on in our world that we can't control. And there's a lot that we can. And so I think that by getting to know myself and taking that time and, and how do I do that, right? Journaling and therapy and being quiet sometimes. <laughs> like one of the things my therapist, like at the beginning, she's like, well, you have to be quiet sometimes, right? Because I was like, if I'm home and I wasn't doing anything, I'd put on a podcast or an audiobook. because I always had to be listening. And then I was like, no, you know what? There's a time and a place for that. And those are super valuable. But part of listening is listening to yourself as well. And the more I get to know myself and, you know, now that I can answer questions like what makes me happy before I couldn't even do that. So when we start to get to know who we are and spend time with ourselves, then it helps us to create a life that we are being intentional and deliberate about, as opposed to just sort of letting life pass us by. We're being a conscious creator of what we're doing. And to me, that's changed my life completely because now I'm doing more things intentionally and deliberately. And that really does impact um, how I feel, how I show up in the world, uh, how I think, how I speak, all of that.
1: I love that. Thank you so much for sharing that with us. That's been fantastic. And I've had a great time. Hopefully um, listeners can you know, get multiple nuggets from this and apply this in their lives. And hopefully also before and during the rush of uh, the Christmas period in the salon. Um, But yeah, thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate it. And I hope we can
0: chat again soon. Thank you so much. You know, it was such a joy to talk to you. And I think that, you know, when we think about the things that make us happy, what happens in a salon is such a powerful thing for so many people mm-hmm. that not only impacts the people working at the salon, but the clients that come. And so it's such a noble thing to know that, you know, when you come in and like, we all know what it's like to go <laughs> with like gross, greasy hair and disgusting roots. And you leave with this like beautiful blonde blowout for me. Anyway, I'm blonde, yeah. but, uh, right, whatever it is, but we feel good with this yeah. fresh cut, this fresh color, you know, our nails, whatever it is. And so, you know, I really celebrate, um, you and and you listening as well for the work that you do and the meaning and the impact that it has on so many people because we think about you know how do we be the change in the world mm-hmm. well like I talked about at the beginning right our happiness extends three degrees from us and so by focusing on it for ourselves and for making meaningful things in other people that's how we start to spread more positivity in the world so thank you so much it's been such a joy um, chatting with you today
1: it really has thank you so much for your time once again Dr. Mandich <laughs> For more insights on what staff are looking for today, what drives them and keeps them happy and engaged, you can listen back to episode 195 of Forest FM, which was aired uh, this year, season five. Uh, it was an episode with Stephanie Fox, and I think it would beautifully complement today's conversation. Uh, in that episode, you'll hear about the difference between leadership and motivation, what staff want from their salon, what teams want from their salon, how to attract top talent, what being a friend and a leader really means. And And you'll have some insights into how to build a strong and healthy relationship with your salon team, navigating transparency levels, and uh, the power of connection. So the difference between willpower and way power. So again, episode 195 with Stephanie Fox. Don't forget that you can always head over to Forrest.com forward slash FM to catch up on all things Forrest FM. And if you want to share your thoughts on today's conversation or the show in general, we're always all ears. Send us your feedback at ForrestFM at Forrest.com or you can also leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Either way, we'd love to hear from you. And if you've enjoyed this episode, why not pay forward and share it with a friend or a colleague? Your continued support is warmly appreciated and truly what makes this show possible. On that note, we will catch you all next Monday. This episode was edited and mixed by Audio Z, Montreal's cutting-edge post-production studio for creative minds looking to have their vision professionally produced and mixed. Great music makes great moments. Forest FM, the salon owner's podcast, is brought to you by Forest Salon Software. Get your clients back in more often, spending more, and generating referrals. Let's grow.